Wonderful. Okay, great. Welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. Discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. I'm Emily Hamill, a four-star level eventer, dedicated practitioner of yoga, Pilates, and meditation, personal development enthusiast, and plant-strong athlete. And I am recording this in Aiken, South Carolina. This will be my last recording in Aiken, South Carolina. And I am Tyler Held. I'm a professional groom and mental toughness coach. I am a lifelong learner in the areas of mindset, positive thinking, and motivation. I am a practitioner of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, daily meditation, and I'm currently a doctoral student um, based in Ocala, Florida right now. But Emily, I'm headed your way on Tuesday, just in a couple of days now. I'm so excited to see you. We haven't seen each other since like Christmas, I think. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. I feel like the winter went by really quickly, but we've also been here for a long time, if that makes sense. It's a very weird feeling where it like feels like a long time and also super quick. But I don't know about you. I am ready to go home. Aiken's been great, um, but I think you just get kind of to the point where it's it's busy, you know, it's like a lot. And you're like, all right, let's go home, which is still busy. But for some reason, it feels less. I don't know if you get that. No, I feel you. And I, I do feel like it will be particularly busy when we get back to Kentucky, just like in that fine, sorry, back to Pennsylvania because of the final preparations for Kentucky. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited for that this year. And I think that going back up North, like, you know, some people actually stay, in their southern locations and then just go straight to Kentucky from there, which like, you know, obviously like you can do it both ways. But for us, I'm like really excited to get the horses back on our hills um, to be able to kind of have the fitness a little easier from that aspect, because obviously if you're adding incline, you don't have to add as much speed, which is good. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, just like settling back in and we've got a good amount of time to like get up there, get settled and like focus on getting to Kentucky. Right. And, uh, very exciting. We will both be there. So, um, I'm also looking forward to having better gallops at home. Um, I am having to drive three and a half hours, like from Aiken to get to a good gallop. And like, it's a beautiful gallop at Will Faudry's farm, but that makes for a very long day. It's like seven hours of driving, but I want to make sure that Barry's like really fit and ready for Kentucky. So doing it, getting it done. Yeah. You're crazy. That's like such (laughs) a long drive for a guy. I know, but it's, it's a long drive, but anyway, so I suppose we should move on to the next part. We've been rambling about our Southern lifestyles down here. But anyway, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, welcome. And if you have, welcome back. As we said in our introduction, our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. And we do this by discussing topics related to our four pillars, which are mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. In our main episode, which we release one a month, we talk about goal setting, books, 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 the main topic, listener questions, and actionable advice. We've also released a few guest episodes, so be sure to check those out. In this month's episode, we will be talking about destructive coaching habits. And we talked a little bit about like the title of this episode, because obviously a lot of what the whole equestrian is about is like positive psychology and like really like being well-rounded individuals. So we didn't want to kind of put a gray cloud on this episode by saying destructive coaching habits, but I really just couldn't think of another way to convey this idea of habits of leaders or coaches or individuals that are helping you in your, in your career that may be doing more harm than good. And the point of this episode is to be able to identify those if you're on the butt end or if you're maybe in an instructor's position and you're like, oh, like, you know, unfortunately, sometimes when people are really good at things, that doesn't necessarily make them good t- 
teachers or educators. So being able to just have a conversation about what effective coaching is by illuminating destructive coaching habits and like showing you what they are, the obvious ones and the not so obvious. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, we're going to try to throw in the positive, like, okay, so if you're seeing this destructive habit, like this is the, the opposite, right? So again, like you said, we're kind of highlighting the negative a little, but we're going to try to then give you something positive to look for. Absolutely. But before we jump into that main topic, which please stay tuned for that, we've got some laundry and housekeeping to do with some of our other segments in this podcast. So should we dive into our word of the year and goal setting section, Emily? Yep, I am all into that. So uh, as you guys have probably heard, if you've listened before, my word for 2021 is dynamic. And um, yeah, it's it's been a good word. And I just try to, there's been a couple times this month, particularly where I just try to come back to that word. And when I'm not really feeling things, you know, and I'm just like a little bit burnt out or whatever, feeling tired or don't necessarily want to put in the extra effort to do something. I just kind of remember this word. Um, again, the definition for dynamic is positive and attitude and full of energy and new ideas. Um, so it's a good reminder to have that and come back to. I love it. Yeah. Like just kind of have that idea of grounding. And like, I think that's the power of having a world of the year. It's like for those times that you're burnt out or frustrated or not certain to have something to like remind you of your goals and your purpose and all the other things that we talk about on this show. Right. And then as far as my goals go, um, I am really making Kentucky my main focus currently. So I'm kind of putting all of my energy into that. Um, which includes driving seven hours to gallop my horse round trip, not each way, but anyway. Um, so I, I that, mean, I'd say that you're all in. I'm all in. I'm taking lessons. I'm really trying to just, you know, make sure I'm fit and healthy and mentally good, <laughs> you know, trying to meditate and get into the right mindset. And yeah. All have that, you so. changed anything in your personal routine leading up to Kentucky? Like, is there... Um, no, I haven't really changed anything. Um, and if we're being honest, I need to probably do more of what I've been doing, like longer periods of it. Like I still always do my morning yoga, um, or Pilates, basically mindful movement. Um, but I would like to make those sessions longer. Uh, daylight savings time has been a struggle for me. It is so dark. (laughs) In the morning. It really is. It's ridiculously dark. And I just have had a hard time adjusting. So I'm still doing it. But I'm like now doing like 20, 30 minutes more, which like ideally I would do about an hour of something. And included in that hour would be meditation. But now I'm kind of like, anyway, I got to work on not hitting the snooze again. So, Hey, it's just a reminder that once you achieve a goal, like you always have to work to maintain it. And I think that, uh, maybe being back home in Pennsylvania and like back in your own element can help you to kind of refocus and get ready in the last month. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. So what about you, Tyler? How's your word of the year helping you? You know, Emily, I really, I I chose the word thrive and I feel like I'm really understanding what it means to thrive. Like, uh, in the past I've, I've felt like, uh, God, I forget what book it was. I think it was becoming by Michelle Obama where you had talked about, um, the box checker and how she said, like, some people are just like doing things to check boxes off and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thriving is not being a box checker. Like you can't just be like checking things off a list. Like, Thriving is really being involved in your environment, in your experiences, in your relationships. And so I actually just finished a semester of graduate school. And 
it was the first time that I really feel like I was thriving in the material instead of just like checking off boxes to finish an assignment. Like I wasn't doing it to get a grade. I was doing it because I like really enjoyed the process of learning and I felt ways that, you know, I can apply it. I, I've been studying sports psychology for so long now that it's like the pattern recognition of the concepts and the theories is really coming together and adding that analytical mind to say, okay, like what backs this theory up? Like, what is the research? Like, let's talk about reliability and validity, all that stuff that like, you're not actually going to talk about with someone who's your sports psychology client, but that just makes me as someone who wants to practice in the future, have a lot more faith in the, in in the science behind it all so that's that's been really fun for me and um yeah so I wrapped up just in time to have a few weeks off in packing and going up north and my classes will start again on April 5th um and I just feel really good about all of that and being able to balance my my work with my school has been thriving Thrivey. Thrivey. Okay. We're, <laughs> We're making that a word. <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> I like it. What about your goals? So for, I'm going to focus on like my one goal that I feel like is like, I've actually been working towards it, which is having a living situation that's outside of my work. And I feel like that's just something that like, is really relatable. Anyone who's ever been like, okay, like I want, I want a space of my own. Emily, I know you went through it and like, it's mm-hmm. scary. There's like a lot of decisions. So I know we talked about on last episode, if I could, the land I was interested in, there was like certain rules and it would only be like 750 square foot house. Well, there's a cabin that we found that we really love. That's more than 750 square feet. So now it's like, okay, well, do we just buy land to build the house on. But then once you add up the price of the land and the cabin, should you just be buying a house? Like it's all very overwhelming right right now because it's like what makes the most sense with like the money that we're going to put into this to like have something that I want to live in for a long time. Um, So I've just kind of been working on that and we'll see. Well, I'm really excited to see your house whenever that, you know, happens (laughs) happens <laughs> so anyway very excited okay dinner parties anyway yeah all the things all the things ew we just said that at the same time ew. anyway why is that <laughs> ew that's so... <laughs> i don't know emily doesn't like know. our dynamic synergy from however many miles Sorry. away we are Yay! that was amazing <laughs> so uh... all right well i think it's time for Books, 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 books. books. (laughs) Okay, so we aren't on time when we say that, but anyway, it's all good. Uh, All right. Uh, Tell me, what have you been reading, Emily? Okay, well, as you've heard me say the past two months, reading has just, like, not um, happened as much as I would like it to. However, I did almost finish a book this month. Um... And, yeah, it's called Good Karma. Okay. And it's by Joan Duncan Oliver. Basically, it's about how to find karma and keep it and just, like, explains it a little bit more. So um, I'm interested in the subject. And through my yoga teacher training, you know, we've, like, touched on karma a little bit. But this is, like, a pretty in-depth look at it and but it's a fun book like it's an easy read so I think that that's why I've been able to get through it it's kind of a smaller book um and like it's just fun to read the way that they've divided it out um so it's a good bedtime read for me uh yeah and there were a couple things that I found very useful Um, or at least interesting. So I'm going to share that with you. And so in this one section of the book, they talk about staying healthy. And um, basically, the word heal comes from the old English word halen, which means to become whole, which I found interesting. 
Uh, and this suggests that healing is a spiritual as well as physical matter. The process of restoring mind-body balance nearly always involves working off negative karma. So changing self-defeating thinking as well as unwholesome habits. Research shows, for example, that forgiving people we believe have harmed us hastens physical and emotional recovery. So just interesting um, thing to think about. Uh, and then also, this is kind of a good karma test, or if you're like going to do something and you're like, do you think this is going to be like good karma, bad karma, whatever, um, the, what they suggest in this book uh, is that you ask yourself, what would happen if everybody did this? Or how would I feel if everybody did this? If it's like a negative answer, it's probably not great, you know? So I just thought that was an easy way to think about it. I love that. Yeah. Have you so. put it to use at all? Um, not yet so much. I honestly just read that page last night, so. Okay, all right, um, that's fair enough. I haven't, but I just thought, I was like, oh, that's an easy way to think about it. So, I yeah, like it. that's what I got. Awesome. And um, I still need to get my library card so I can start listening to free audiobooks because I know that's been your jam lately. So Yes, yeah. So with the Libby app, that's what I've been doing. And um, I listened to a few really good books this month. Um, what's interesting, so the, the, the app it's like a library card. So even though an audiobook is technically like everyone can have access to the audio file, they have like certain holds that you have to place on the audiobooks. So I've been waiting for this one book for a while. Um, it was called The Book of Joy, and it's um, with the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop. I don't know of what. I should look that up because I sound <laughs> ignorant right now. Um, but it was all about like this guy, he goes and he interviews the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop and they have conversations about like what it means to be joyful and like how a lot of people mistake wealth and power and greed for joy. But like, you know, I think at one point the Dalai Lama said, he's like, all you need to do is like eat nutritious food and like be healthy and well in your body. And like, you know, people just don't realize that they try to complicate it. And, um, I just really like enjoy the perspective. Like obviously everything in terms of like mindfulness goes back to a lot of these like Buddhist principles. And, um, it, w it was interesting to like hear this perspective of the Dalai Lama because he's like, I don't care if you're an atheist, a Christian, like if you're Jewish, like it doesn't matter but the, these principles are all the same. It's like how we can be better human beings. And I think when people pay attention to those principles of, of better living and more joyful living, that's when we can give more to others and like be really sound in ourselves. Um, so that was really like a nice thing to listen to while I'm mucking stalls in the morning and just sort of a good reminder of, you know, what it means to be joyful. Um, nice. And then the second book that I was really excited to listen to was called The Art of Impossible by Stephen Kotler. Um, I've actually read a book by him, I think it was 2019, because he's like a really big flow researcher. So the background on the author is that he actually had like a really, really severe case of Lyme's disease. He like couldn't get out of bed. Like basically his life was on pause for two years because of how fatigued Lyme disease was making him. And one day, like on a whim, his buddy pulls him out of bed and is like, come on, man, like we got to go surfing. And he's like, what? That's like absolutely ridiculous. I have zero energy. Like I can't go surfing. But he does anyway, like, and he finds that the activity of surfing and finding flow states in surfing, like, gradually brought him back to life. For eight months, he would go surf for three hours and then basically have to, like, lay in bed for ten days. But, like, he started to find, like, the peak experience of flow to be, like, something worth living for. And, like, he was like, I, by some, like, 
metaphysical mystery, like healed my Lyme's disease through surfing. And so his whole thing has been like, let's research this flow state and figure out how we can make it happen. And while his other books have been more of a like, this is what flow is, this new book, The Art of Impossible, is about this is how we can seek out flow. Um, and the research is still growing in this field. It's, you know, they're, they're basically taking things of like, these are the factors that help you experience flow. And they're working to make that into more of a science because the amount of time spent in flow, even by like elite athletes, like it's not something that you can just be like, oh, okay, like I'm going to go flow today. Um, so it's just kind of like interesting to hear the perspective on that. And if you've heard about the concept of flow before and you're interested in it, I would definitely say that this is a really palatable book for you. Yeah, that's, um, that sounds really enter like just super interesting. Cause I, of course, appreciate flow state since, um, occasionally I get in it. Right. Um, but anyway, it kind of reminds me of in my yoga teacher training, I just did a section on this yesterday and they were talking about yoga and like how yoga is basically like a state of mind. It's not actually just like the asana practice and everything. Right. And how they're saying like yoga is always present, but you can't like force it. Like it's just there. And she kind of compared it to like sleep. You can't just um, be like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. Like it just doesn't work like that. Or like I am going to be in a state of yoga now or I am going to be in a state of flow now. Like you have to um, put yourself in the right position and under the right like circumstances to hopefully let that state come about, you know? Like if you have a nighttime routine, like that's going to set you up to sleep or if you have like – you know, some routine that's going to set you up to flow or whatever. I just find that really interesting. Well, and it was funny because, like, in one part of the book, it's, like, get daily exercise, like, set aside three hour-long chunks a week doing an activity that you enjoy for the sake of it, like, not because you know, someone else wants you to do it, and, like, you know, eat good, sleep well, and he says, like, these are, like, the very unsexy simple formulas for impossible like to do impossible things you have to do the very routine rudimentary stuff right because like flow is also this idea that people who are doing groundbreaking thing and adventure sports um people like people who are setting world records they're achieving this state of flow and basically like he's he's going through the science of what gets people there and like it talks about neurobiology and stuff but at the end of the day it's really the simple things that get you there yeah and set you up to be able to get in that state so yeah really cool yeah and then I'm physically reading a book called the Dalai Lama's cat because <laughs> in the book of joy the Dalai Lama mentions having a cat, and I'm a huge cat person, so I was like, let me Google the Dalai Lama's cat. A whole book series comes up about the Dalai Lama's cat, so the That's first amazing. one... Yeah, the first one is literally called the Dalai Lama's cat, and it, like, goes through the eyes of the cat, and, like, it's interesting because the cat is, like, observing the Dalai Lama, so you're getting mindfulness lessons, like, from the Dalai Lama through the cat's eyes. Um, so I'm really excited about the book series. Like, one of them's called The Art of Purring. Um, and I'm just pumped because I... Great title. I Great love, title. I love my cats. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So funny. Well, you'll have to keep us posted on that and talk about it Absolutely. in the next episode. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Right. Should we get on to the main topic? We should before we spend the whole episode talking about books again. It's so easy um, to do. It is. Okay, so destructive coaching habits. Tyler, let's uh, let's hear about this. Okay, so 
we talked a little bit about this in the beginning of the episode, but like destructive coaching habits, like these are the things that stilt our growth instead of promoting it. Um, obviously when we want to get better, we need to talk about our weaknesses, but sometimes like focusing on weaknesses gets taken like way too far. And our goal for the episode is to talk about like a how not to in terms of coaching so that we can confident, like foster confidence in riders. Um, and like, if you're a rider, how to spot these signs so that you can get the most out of your instruction. We want to be able to have you guys be able to start conversations about this with your coach. Like if you're like, oh wow, this is something that I feel like has been a roadblock for me and it might be because of the relationship I have with my trainer. It's not necessarily just, oh, leave and find a new trainer, but start a conversation so that you guys can work with it and get better. Um, and I think like one thing, I talked about this quote on the last episode, but there's my biggest takeaway from a positive psychology class that I just took was talking about strengths-based training. And it basically says like, you know, like we're being realistic, like we can't just focus on strengths. If you're in a sailboat and there's a hole in the sailboat, you can't just be like, oh, but I gotta, I gotta work on my strengths. I gotta work on sailing forward because you'll literally sink when the sailboat fills with water. But on the other hand, if you just focus on your weakness, if all you do is patch this hole, you're never going to have any forward momentum. You're never going to sail forward because you have to focus on those strengths as well. So some of the really, really clear destructive coaching habits are like emotional abuse, name calling, hurtful comments regarding your performance, uh, swearing at each other, um, comments that are meant to demean a person's integrity. Like, obviously, these are pretty standard. Like, you can recognize and spot this is not good. Like, I shouldn't be getting demeaned for my performance. But there's also less clear destructive coaching habits. And those include, can like... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, can we just stop on that for a second? Yeah. Because... It you know, I think that that's, we talk about like being able to have a conversation about these things, but if you're in a situation like that, you know, it might not be a, like, it might not be fixed with the conversation, but it, it could be. But I think I'm sure we've all seen in warm up where a coach doesn't give instruction that sounds great you know like it's you're like watching this person ride around getting ready to jump or do dressage and the coach is just like yelling at them luckily I don't think it happens that often but I'm sure we've all seen it a time or two and it's just uncomfortable and like you feel bad for the person and you're like I feel like there should be a better way um I don't know exactly where I'm going with this but like I just that kind of negative coaching habit is something that like from my point of view is a big issue well and that to me is something that is like a culture thing too it's like if you grew up in the culture of like oh you just have to like rough it out and get better like and it doesn't matter and like pressure is all that it takes like then th that tends to be your coaching style like right if like you grew up getting cursed at and like demeaned and made to feel like you were nothing and like that's what brought you to where you are today that's likely the style of coaching that you're gonna have and like it's a conversations that that is had a lot in sports of okay the players that are under that coaching style mostly succeed in spite of it not because of it so mm -hmm. how can we create a culture that is hard-working people that want to get better that doesn't have this negative spin to it does that make sense yes i think i Definitely. think that's where you were kind of trying to go yeah I I think you put that together quite well. I was just like this this subject right here bothers me, but yes, you put a good spin on that. So and like it's not to say that you can't be like hard like you have to be hard on people if like you want to expect excellence and stuff like that, but like you have to 
find the line of this is appropriate and this is not appropriate because, you know, there are things coming out. Like there's a documentary that just came out recently um, called The Weight of Gold. That's all about the mental health issues that are had of Olympic athletes. I mean, I read a book, uh, Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, about like the pressures that girls that want to be Olympic figure skaters and gymnasts are and like literally eating disorders and, you know, mental health problems. And it comes a lot from this, you know, as a coach, your student, player, whatever looks up to you. And if you're telling them constantly that they're not good enough, that's going to be the self-talk that comes into their mind. For sure. And it's not that necessarily like that self-talk isn't going to come in other ways but like if you have a coach and someone that you're looking up to enforcing that that's really not good so I'd like to see kind of the culture of sports change and I think what the weight of gold and and other documentaries like that are doing is is opening that door for us good um so let's jump into some of the less clear destructive coaching habits. Um, and I think like each one of these deserves like a little bit more explanation. So the first one that I have down here is like expecting perfection. Um, do you want me to run with this one, Emily, or do you want to give it a go? Um, expecting perfection. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can kind of speak to it based on from my point of view as a coach and also as a student who rides with other people. Um, as we know, like Rome wasn't built in a day, as the saying goes, you know. So, yes, we, as a coach, you kind of, it can be difficult because you can see the potential in the horse and the rider and you're like, okay, it should be like this. Um, or, you know, this is the picture that I, I want to see, but I'm not seeing it. But, again, it's like, it's, it's going to take time and just expecting things immediately. I think you have to kind of look at the progress and like, are they better today? You know, like, are they getting closer to that quote unquote, like perfect visual that I'm looking for as a coach, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that part, but yeah, I mean, I think we, we've talked about like embracing mistakes through the learning process. So what this destructive coaching habit would be, would be not allowing your students to embrace that mistake process. Like if you come out and something's not perfect and you're just immediately, you know, criticizing someone for having it not being up to the standard that you want it to be, you're preventing them from doing all of the learning processes that they need to do to get better. And I think that's something that more people need to recognize. Like, okay, what's going to be more effective in this situation? It's not to my standard. Do I criticize this person for it not being to the standard? Or how can I help them and show them? Maybe you need to get on the horse and show them. Maybe you need to explain it a different way. But like, clearly there's a disconnect between what's happening and the desired result. And just like getting frustrated because it's not, not perfect isn't going to help anyone. Right. And I always like to see like, because I think you bring up a valuable point about mistakes and learning from the mistakes. I don't care if my students make a mistake as long as they don't repeat that mistake exactly the same again, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so our next less clear destructive coaching habit is not helping students grow um, or, like, helping set clear goals for your student, right? So if you have a coach, they should be involved in your clear goals of what you want to accomplish. And it's not necessarily like clearly destructive, but if you have someone that's not going to sit down with you and work, help you work towards what you're going to work to towards, it's not productive or helpful. It's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe I came in and had a good lesson today, but what does a good lesson mean in terms of the growth that I want out of this lesson? 
Yeah, and I think by not, like, when you don't set goals with your coach, there can be a lot of confusion and frustration because maybe your coach has one goal for you, but they haven't vocalized it. And then maybe you have this other goal for yourself and you haven't vocalized it and they're not exactly the same goal, but because you haven't had that conversation, you guys may be working in two different directions. So again, just being able to talk about it. And if your coach doesn't bring it up, maybe you bring it up like, Hey, I'd really appreciate like even just five minutes of your time. Could we just talk about some goals, you know, and then hopefully they'll give you a little bit more than five minutes of your time. But like, if you broach it, broach the subject that way, um, I think you guys might be able to get somewhere. Absolutely. I love that advice. Um, finally, uh, I want to say that it goes both ways, right? So a coach that's sugarcoating everything is also, that's that's not a productive coach. We're talking about, like, you want to get better. You want to be an advocate in your own growth and everything. And, like, if your coach is just sitting there like, you're doing a great job, like, wonderful you're not learning anything. Like you, you do have to address those weaknesses. Like I said, with a sailboat, like there is a hole in the sailboat. Like, please don't tell me I'm fine. I'm sinking. Um, and it's not necessarily in the negative way, but a coach that is not going to help you embrace what you need to work on is, is not going to help you get where you need to go. Yeah. Um, and as you were saying that, uh, kind of going it just made me think again in my yoga teacher training you guys are going to get sick of me saying that but it's it's really interesting because there's a section on like how to become a better instructor Mm -hmm. and you know I think it does transfer over to my you know teaching people on horses as well as teaching yoga but they said that you don't want to focus like you want your cues to focus on the positive, not the negative, but they can still be instructive. You know, they can still, so like say someone's riding around and all you say is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, you know, when the better way to go about it is say do this or do that, like be as specific as you can trying to focus on what the person can do instead of what they shouldn't be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I love that you're using the parallels from like yoga teacher training to your equestrian training. And it's actually kind of interesting because uh, my boyfriend Alec right now is like learning how to teach people how to fly planes. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting how like all the concepts of like positive psychology and teaching are you know, fundamental, no matter what vocation you're teaching in. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Perfect. Um, and so I put this one in here and I don't really, it's, uh, I guess it's a less clear destructive coaching (laughs) habit, (laughs) but I, I don't know how else this fits in, but if your coach is on the phone while they're teaching you a lesson, like texting, talking, like, I'm sorry, that's not the place for that. And to me, um, when I ride with my instructors, like I will expect their full attention, you know, like, and it's totally different if an emergency comes up and like they have to take something, but like for the half an hour, 45 minutes I'm riding with someone, or even when I'm teaching people on my own, like I am not looking at my phone again, unless it's something that I have to address, then I will say, okay, let's just stop for a second. Let me do this so that then I can focus on you. Um, And I just, again, have seen way too many instructors just like half-heartedly watch their student and scroll through social media or something. And I, I... I don't know. Have you experienced this? Yeah. I'm sure you have. I've I've seen it. I've seen it at horse shows when, you know, like, even in the barns when people are, like, trying to ask questions or, like, get help or, um, the other day I was at a horse show and I just, like, happened to notice that someone's student was warming up by themselves and then I saw them sitting on a hill, like, 
10 feet away on social media. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you go warm up your student. And it's just like the little things like that, the little mindful attention. Like, you know, obviously you have to realize like instructors at different levels are going to be demand different attentions. But like, if you're paying for that hour, like that hour should be yours. Right. And having the understanding of, you know, Emily, your students in the next month will have some sort of an understanding that you might not have as much time to teach lessons because you're preparing for Kentucky, but like you're, it's not like you're blowing them off and you're like on your phone, on social media. It's like, Oh, Hey, I had to go drive seven hours today to take Barry galloping. So I'm sorry. Like I can't teach you your lesson. But, like, you know, having that understanding and those realizations, I think, is really important. Yeah, and I think it just comes back to clear communication and having the conversations. And, um, yeah, like, if you can't give someone your undivided attention, tell them that. Say, like, okay, now's not good. Let's check back in 10 minutes or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And I think being honest about that is important. Because your students deserve your full presence. Absolutely. Shall we transition into what we should do when you realize that we're, like, experiencing some of these habits? Yeah, so I think we've kind of talked about the habits. I'm sure you guys have seen, possibly experienced. So what do we do once we recognize this? Well, I kind of touched on this before, but like I said, it's... I don't, I'm not telling anyone to run away. Like, I'm not telling you to turn the other direction and be like, oh my God, Tyler, you're right. My coach hasn't been serving me. I should just leave Barnes tomorrow. Like, absolutely not. Like, always do things professionally and have a conversation. So, um, one thing that I think Emily and I wanted to stress with this is like having a conversation outside of the saddle um, could really improve relationships and like you know how can you talk to your trainer about what works for you yeah um and again that's much better done when you're off of your horse and there's no like emotions involved because maybe your horse isn't doing what you want that day or whatever like if you're having an issue in the lesson try to um you know work through through it how your trainer is offering and then if that doesn't work then maybe at the end of the lesson say hey I would really like it if we could schedule a time to chat about x y and z and one one concept that I thought really like applies to this idea of like you know talking about what works for you is um you know everyone's different in terms of their learning styles so Emily and I could be having a group jump lesson and it's going great for Emily, but I'm just simply struggling with it. And like, I'm just not getting the instruction. Maybe I'm nervous, over aroused, something's going on. Like, um, and, and it, it, I'm, I'm looking at Emily and I'm like, Emily's doing great. Like what's wrong with me? So there's this idea in sports psychology that everyone has like an individualized zone of optimal functioning in terms of, our emotional arousal that we perform best under. Jenny always laughs at me when I use the word arousal and I'm like, it's not sexual. It's like, it's supposed to be like your level of excitement. Um, yeah, I, I get it. You get, I get it? it. Okay, good. I just <laughs> yeah. wanted to make sure, but uh, we're talking about like what amount of like pressure you perform best under. Some people like love a crowd. They love the pressure. They love having a deadline. Like some people work really well under that. Whereas other people are like, I just want to be quiet at home. Like I want to think about it first. You're going to tell me the course. I'd like to tell it back to you once or twice and then maybe talk about my plan for it. And then I'm going to go feel more confident about, about it and go. And like, like, so let's say someone chill, um, is at a three on on the zone of arousal. Um, but someone who likes pressures maybe at a seven and you just need to like realize that's who you are and 
be able to foster those opportunities for yourself. It's not to say that you should never push yourself out of your comfort zone, but to know where your comfort zone is. Of like, I'm having a lesson right now. I want to get the most out of it. Like, I need to make sure that I'm really calm, cool, and collected. Mm-hmm. What about you, Emily? How do you think that you fare as far as, like, pressure? I kind of like pressure like I'm a little bit casual when I don't have pressure (laughs) put on me and I think we've talked about this before you know at a horse show where it's like say it's a three-day and you have like one horse and you're like wow what am I gonna do with this time like you just get a little bit casual and that's when you start to forget things right Mm -hmm. or you know if you're just taking a horse at a lower level than you typically do you know, that's when you get a little bit casual because the pressure's off. Like, I perform my best when I am under pressure. So I'm hoping that's going to work well for me at Kentucky because <laughs> I've never been to that level, obviously. So there's going to be a lot of pressure. But I tend to step up to the plate in those situations because I'm like, well, I have to figure it out. I have to do it where other times when I'm used to the situation or it's just – a little more relaxed, that's when I get, I don't want to say sloppy, but just like, you know, I'm just not as, um, I don't bring my A game as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, and I, and like, you know, in that idea, like having pressure, it's like, okay, like maybe that time that you're having a lesson with someone that you're kind of intimidated, like brings out the best in you. Whereas, you know, Cynthia comes and she's like, I'm so intimidated by this person and they kind of crawl into a hole of self-doubt and, and criticism and stuff like that, that like doesn't really facilitate performance. Um, but Mm -hmm. like basically circling back to how you can get the most out of your coaching with this. Well, if you've been having group lessons and feeling super self-conscious because the person next to you is riding better. Maybe sit down with your trainer and be like, hey, how can we work out having a few private lessons? Because I really think it would help my confidence if I could just do it without anyone watching me for a bit. Mm-hmm. Or you've been having private lessons. Like, I, I just don't care enough. Like, what can we do to, like, up the ante? Can we go trailer somewhere and, like, do this somewhere a little bit more exciting? Like, just knowing where you lie so that you can get the most out of the experience. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. So um, I think we also wanted to touch on different learning styles because knowing that can also, or having your instructor know what learning style works best for you um, can just help them to coach you better. Yeah, I know that, like, I talked about this with um, Jenny a lot. She's been working with, you know, the team coach Eric on her dressage and she said like when I first started riding with Eric like I didn't really know what he wanted from me like I was listening to what he was saying but like I wasn't just I wasn't really understanding it and Eric started getting on the horses and like physically showing her what he meant and something started clicking and like the dressage is going really really well now and it's like that was the gap between an auditory instruction and a more visual and kinesthetic because not only can she then see what Eric means, she can also sit on the horse right after Eric's created this feel and feel exactly how he wants them to feel. Yeah. And that's definitely like, I learn much better through again, like visual demonstrations Partly, but I would say even more through feeling things, Um, you know, feeling what it's supposed to be like. So. Um, Okay, so you've figured out how you learn, you figure out what kind of pressure you need on you. And then the last point I think that we want to make as far as this conversation goes is to frame the conversation about how you feel not what your coach is doing because we never want to place blame in these situations of saying like, oh, well, you just haven't set any goals with me and um, 
you're, you're always teaching me in group lessons and it's just your fault that I'm not riding well. Like that's not, that's never going to improve the relationship. But if you can come in and you say, I feel like I, I would really understand this more if you showed it to me. Do you think next, next lesson, instead of me starting the horse, like you could meet me in the barn and maybe you could hop on my horse first and have it be a really productive teamwork conversation instead of saying, this is all your fault. Yes. Um, I think that's a fantastic point because it can be easy, you know, when we get kind of caught up in our emotions to be like upset with the coach or frustrated and just kind of want to come at them. I I don't know, a little bit more aggressively, (laughs) but the more you can kind of own your feelings and come at it from that point of view. And, um, I think the better, and that's not just for riding instruction. That's like for pretty much any conversation in life, right. And any relationship that you have to deal with. But, um, again, just because everybody's entitled to their own like experience and how they feel about a situation, but you know, another person isn't going to know that unless you voice it. And they're also, going to be more open to listening if you come at it from a place of like really wanting to grow and get better versus a place of just like blame and um, frustration. Absolutely. Now, Emily, when do you think that like, you know, if this conversation isn't effective, like when do you think it's time to move on? I think if you can't truly have a conversation with your coach and like they just either don't want to hear it or they're kind of set in their ways and they're not really open to working through it with you, that may be time to move on. Um, Another thing is sometimes you just outgrow your coaches and that that's like part of riding, you know, like no, I don't want to say no one, but most likely a five-star rider is not still riding with the person who gave them their first lesson you know? Yeah. So, and there's, there's like just stages. You don't, and everyone is there to teach you something, but at some point, like you may just need to move on to someone who can teach you a little bit more or a little bit differently. And that's not, um, a bad thing. It's not saying anything bad about that coach. It might not work for you, but it works for other people. Um, but again, it's it's just like an individual thing. But I think really being honest with yourself of like, has this person given me all that they can um, or not, you know? I, and I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think a big takeaway from this is just like, to remember that like you are the captain of your own ship like whether you are a working student who's putting in the daily grind into the barn and the horses or you're you know a a paying client for your lessons like you are you're you have to be your own advocate for getting the most out of your experience and the first step is recognizing and the second step is like taking action to have those conversations and and work towards a more positive relationship if you find yourself in one of these situations. Definitely. So we hope that you guys have learned something here about identifying um, destructive coaching habits and also how to try to like put a positive spin on them and hopefully turn those destructive coaching habits into productive coaching habits. I love it. I love it. Um, Shall we move on to our listener questions? Yeah, I think we should. So we opened this up to our Facebook community, just asking for some things that other people have found when it comes to being coached. And we've had a couple people respond. We're not going to go into details of names per se, but one person um, just said that 
when coaches only say what not to do in a negative way, like stop doing this instead of what to do. So we kind of talked about that earlier, but I think that is a big one. You know, like people want to be told, like, again, putting a positive spin on it. It doesn't have to be sugar-coated, but like what can they do? Um, so they just said, sometimes if you only think about not doing a thing, you end up doing the exact thing that exact thing. Um, again, cause that's like in your focus, right? Whereas presenting a positive action to focus on doing instead is very helpful. Uh, it is important to point out errors and I don't pay coaches to tell me only good things. However, if someone says stop leaning before the fence, all I think about is leaning before a fence. But if someone changes the cue to stay to say stay upright, I find it easier to focus on the correct action. So I think that is a really fantastic um, answer and again kind of goes along with what we had said earlier. Um, you want to take the next one? Yeah, I, I absolutely love the first one that we read here and I, we talked about it a little bit in self-talk of ironic errors. Like if you tell yourself don't think about a pink elephant. Like the first thing that's going to come into your mind is a pink elephant. So I think that's just mm -hmm. something to be really aware of. Like, because I, I do think some, sometimes coaches get frustrated. They're like, don't do that. Why are you not, why are you doing, not doing like, you know, stop. Um, and it's like, you have to cr create that corrective action, um, to make it a more positive experience for both of you because I think the coach and the rider can get frustrated in those cases it's like well I'm trying but now I'm focusing on this yeah definitely um anyways so our second interaction says I've had more than one trainer just talking too much with the best intentions leaving me feeling completely hopeless because it was more of an unedited listing of my mistakes than a section of which ones need work first Usually it will take some time before I realize how destructive it was. After all, the situation does call for the person on the ground letting you know what they see. But if they get too overachieving in that regard, it can really kill your motivation. Also, when the trainer asks for things that are too difficult so that you don't get anything right, it has the same effect. A uh, big neglect that goes unnoticed often is failing to come up with exercise that hit the right level of difficulty for the horse and rider at just that time. In other words, basic educational science and learning psychology. So we've got a bunch of different things in this one that I think like are all things we, we sort of hit on, but I really like being able to reiterate that, like being able to have this challenge skills balance of it's hard enough that it's going to test you, but it's not so hard that you're completely like feeling like you're underwater. Um, and you know, being able to work on negatives without just like, here, let me tell you everything that's wrong with you. Um, and, and you know, getting to that positive place of keeping motivation while learning what you need to learn. Yeah. I think a really important point for me when I heard you say this was an unediting listing of my mistakes. Um, and I just, again, <laughs> yoga teacher training, they were talking about how people can only process so much at one time. So like giving someone a laundry list of what they're doing wrong is first of all, they're not going to be able to remember it all, right? So it's like, and they're probably going to feel pretty bad because you've just listed a million things that you wish that they would do better. So I think as a coach, it's really important to select one or two things, possibly three, but like three is kind of the max, and try to focus on that. And if you can, bonus points, put a positive spin on it, right? Yep. Yeah, and I think, like, sometimes, like, the, you know, it's a pretty stereotypical of, like, giving corrective criticism to sandwich your compliments of, like, say something positive, say something that they can do better, and then say something positive again. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for interacting. Uh, if you want to get in on those conversations, please join the whole question community, or we usually put a post on our Instagram or Facebook, reach out to us with topics that you're interested in talking about, and we'll be sure to address them on the show. Great. So actionable advice. This is a fun section where we give you something that you can put into place right now if you have gotten a lot out of this episode and just want to get a little bit more. So this month, um, we are going to encourage you to take a learning style questionnaire or quiz. Um, And I guess we will be posting the link on our social media somewhere and probably in the show notes. Yeah. Um, And it's a couple pages it's like 30 questions but it's really easy to go through but I think it's helpful if you don't know what kind of learner you are and even if you think you do like maybe you'll find out that actually you learn in this other way better um so Tyler and I both took this um questionnaire and it was again easy to do helpful. Um, I ended up, basically, you just answer the questions and then A, B, or C and tally that up to figure out um, which learning style is yours. So there's visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. And mine ended up being like I had 19 answers that were kinesthetic uh, 10 that were visual and one that was auditory. So clearly I do not learn well, um, when it comes to just hearing instruction, which is very interesting to me. I mean, I guess like thinking about it back in school, like I would kind of doze off during lectures cause like, I just don't really learn very well that way. Um, so, but just seeing that on paper, it was like, Oh, I only got one of those. Yeah. That's so, kind of crazy. Yeah. But the kinesthetic, like, I've always known that I do, I learn better when I actually do something, you know, and again, get that feel, which conveniently works out well for riding, so. Yeah, I also, um, I ended up with 17 um, for kinesthetic, and then I had seven uh, for visual and five for auditory, so I'm pretty similar to Emily in that regards. But I think that's also like a really important consideration. Like here, Emily and I were both kinesthetic learners. Maybe just having your instructor like sit and talk to you is not going to be the best solution for that. Like, is there a situation where it's like, oh, can you like ride the horse so you can make the feel? Or, you know, like I know some riders will go and like pretend to be the horse's mouth and pull on the reins so like you can be like look this is how much weight you need in your hands like be like I need these feel exercises in to comprehend things and you know if if you're not sure where you fall taking this quiz would be um, something that you could do yeah and just going back to the feel thing I did have an interesting thing happen with one of my students when I was telling you know like her to put leg on or like squeeze him to your hand, you know? And one day she was finally like, well, like how much leg am I putting on? Like, do you want me to put on? Cause she's like, I feel like I am putting on so much leg. And I was like, okay. So she's like, do you mind just putting your hand like under my calf and I'm going to like, you pretend your hand is the horse's side. I'm going to press up against it, she was on the horse, obviously, and show you what kind of pressure I've been using. And she did it, and I was like, holy cow, no wonder it's not working, because she was just, like, gripping, like, death grip with her leg. And I was like, okay, so leg, (laughs) not like that. (laughs) But it was just like, and all of a sudden it clicked. She was like, oh, so that's what you mean when you say, like, breathing on the horse's side. Like, you don't want all this leg just, like, gripping on his side. So um, fun little tip for instructors. You might be interested to find out what kind of leg pressure your rider is putting on. So I love that. I have a video of me getting a lesson one time and like I'm jumping and my instructor goes, kick, Tyler, kick. And I just literally pull up after the jump and I'm like, 
I must not know how to kick then because <laughs> I'm kicking. And she was like, no, like, like actually take your leg off the saddle. And kick. I was like, okay, like that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Just clarification, you know, but anyway, um, yeah, try that questionnaire and let us know what you what you got if you want to share it we're always interested in connecting with you guys so all right all right what's next we have uh some whole equestrian merchandise right oh yeah got the t-shirts now yeah we've got t-shirts out in the i was gonna mail you one emily but i figured i was gonna see you so soon so it's fine save the postage you'll be getting yours but uh if you'd like uh we'll be at stable view uh, next weekend and I'll have t-shirts there if anyone's around Aiken you can come buy one for me there and if not they're just $20 plus like I think it's $3 for me to ship them so uh, comes out to $23 and just uh, message us on social media or our email thewholeequestrian at gmail.com if you're if you're interested in getting hooked up with a t-shirt um, the sales of these t-shirts does help support our show and keep our show running uh we bought a new podcasting system and we're hoping to make more improvements to the sound quality as as we get your support so love it uh and we keep saying that we are going to get clinic dates out and um we can for sure commit to the weekend after kentucky correct yes so the first person to reach out and say they want that weekend, it's yours. <laughs> the world is but just so uncertain right now. It's hard I know. to like. <laughs> it is hard to, to dates, give, but give dates. But I think that that those dates will work. Um, and I think we'll know a lot more about the rest of our schedule once we see how Kentucky goes. Emily and yeah. I will be pretty busy in this next uh, month and a half. But like after that, we should have a more clear idea on how the rest of the the year is gonna go yeah and hopefully people will get vaccinated the world will open back up and we'll be good to go so stay tuned on that anyway uh we hope that you learned something from this episode and that you find yourself in positive coaching situations Um, As always, we appreciate your feedback. Check us out on social media, subscribe, um, give us a review. You know where to find our show. If you don't, then you're not listening to it right now. So pretty irrelevant. (laughs) Um, But anyways, we we love you guys so much. So uh, please, please, please reach out to us with anything. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. And in the meantime, enjoy the ride.